0: The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God.
1: Good evening, it's great to be with you. My name is Ed, I'm on the team at Christchurch Bromley. We're going to be studying those verses from John chapter three. Feeling helpless is never pleasant. I don't know when it was that we first experienced it. I imagine as children, maybe losing our parents and the panic that sets in. Maybe again as teenagers sitting down in an exam hall with a a paper and we open it up and we think, oh my goodness, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm doomed. Maybe you have that now if you're a teenager, not being able to go to the exam hall and take that paper. I imagine we feel helpless at the moment in all sorts of ways not being able to see friends and family who are going through very hard times, maybe ourselves. It is never pleasant to feel helpless, but it is sometimes what we need so that we stop trying to solve problems that we can't, so that we look outside of ourselves to someone else who can help us where we cannot. I remember a time there was a, there was a fire in this block of flats. It was a, well, it was, it was, it was a, quite an experience, to be honest. The, uh, next door neighbors, they, they knocked on our door, and said, Ed, there's a fire. Now, what I didn't feel at that point, which I probably should have done, is helpless. Now, what I felt like at that point was a hero. So, you know, the shoulders went back, chest puffed out, deep breath, put on my, uh, my gloves, I grabbed a towel, and I went to face the fire. Now, what it was, was in their kitchen, the, the, the extractor fan over the oven had caught fire. Uh, So it wasn't by any means a massive fire, it was maybe the size of a a couple of laptops. It looked impressive because this thing was metal and it was burning. So anyway, I grabbed my my towel and I uh, attempted to smother the fire and uh, hoped that I would be victorious, but of course all I succeeded in doing was burning the towel and uh, my hands. So anyway, it was rather embarrassing. Uh, That was not a pleasant feeling. The burn, or the feeling of I've completely failed here. But what it meant was I went outside and I said, look, I'm really sorry. I don't know how to do this. Let's call 999. We called 999. And that was really exciting because two, not just one, but two fire trucks came trucking down past the roundabout where we live, round the block, outside our house. And then uh, there must have been about 10 firemen. They were massive, big, burly guys or a few massive big burly women and six of them, I think it was about six of them, they lined up at our front door, the front door to the block of flats, and they checked each other's PPE and they had all the gear. So they had all the, the big yellow suit, the, yellow, the red hats, or I think they were yellow hats. Um, they had oxygen masks, oxygen tanks. They had a massive torch. They had that huge hose. They got themselves ready. They went in and five seconds later, the fire was out. It was amazing. And frankly, I was quite glad that I'd failed because I got to see that. It was great. This passage, I think, is meant to feel a little bit like that. Jesus wants us here to feel helpless in the most important aspect of our lives, in in religion, in truly knowing the true God. He wants us to despair of us ever being able to fix a relationship with God or ever being able to make progress in it because of what we're like. But having felt that, it is not a good feeling. He wants us to see what he has done to help us so that we might look outside of ourselves to him. And what what we find there is far more exciting than fire trucks. It's far more wonderful, in fact, than words could ever begin to describe. I have two points for us this evening. These will be familiar to many of us. I hope they'll be helpful to hear again. They may be new to some, and I hope they'll be helpful to you too. Two points. You must be born again. We must be born again. And Jesus had to be lifted up. So firstly, we must be born again. Verse one, it says, Now there was a man Three times Jesus says this to Nicodemus. He says it in verse 3. He says it again in verse 5. He says it again in verse 7. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And he says don't marvel because what he's doing here is he's summarizing a a huge amount of Old Testament teaching. But the way he puts it, it's hard not to marvel at. It is a shocking statement. The phrase in itself is shocking. Look how Nicodemus responds in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Surely you don't mean this, Jesus, and he doesn't mean that. But it's shocking because of what it means. Verse verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying you are spiritually dead. And you need the Spirit of God to birth spiritual life in your heart. You You need the Spirit of God to perform Heart surgery on you, taking your heart of stone and change it into a heart of flesh. The order of transformation required for someone to come to know God, to see the kingdom of heaven. He's saying it's not on the order of me figuring out how to put out a fire, which you know would be a minor miracle, but theoretically possible. He's saying it's of the order of a child being knit together in the womb. He's saying Nicodemus, no amount of leaf turning, no amount of trying harder. No amount of making new resolutions will ever get you into the kingdom of God. You need a miracle. And it's shocking finally because of who he says it to, to Nicodemus. In in verse 1, we meet a man who's better than us. Verse 1, it says, "Now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. You know, a, a Pharisee, they have a bad name now, for good reason. But but not at the time. They were well-respected, upstanding members of the community. Not just so, verse 1, he is a ruler of the Jews, and we learn in verse 10, he's a teacher of Israel. He's a preacher to the visible people of God. He's a minister of the the, the church at the time. And he is, verse 2, an an open man. This man came to Jesus by night, probably because he was scared, and we might look down on him from that. But he says to, to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one could do what you're doing unless God is with him. He comes ready to learn and listen. He comes openly. I mean, how rare is that nowadays? To go up to someone who we know will probably disagree with us, to hear what they have to say because deep down we know they're right. That's so rare now. And I don't know for sure, but likely he would have known his Bible better than us. He'd have prayed more than us, he'd have given more regularly than us, fasted more fervently, preached more sermons. And yet Jesus says to him, to this man who's better than us, you must be born again. And the point is, if it's true for this man, it's true for everyone, and it's true for you and me, truly, truly. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And it's shocking. Nicodemus, you think you know God. You think you have eternal life, but you don't. And what you need is the Spirit to perform a miracle in your heart. You're helpless. Now we need to ask the question why. I think it would be helpful to ask the question why. And we get an answer in verse 19 of, of this passage. If you look at verse 19, it, it says it says this this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The light is the Lord Jesus. He is the one who reveals to us. He, he shows the light about the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He shows the truth about God. He has come into the world. And people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. The great command in, in Scripture, uh, the one that they have repeated again and again as Jews, is, is this, Hero Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The very basics of religion. Truly knowing the true God, what what does it look like? Well, rule 101, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. But Verse 19 says people love darkness instead of light. In the end, without the Spirit at the very core of our being, We do not love God. We hate him because our deeds are evil. We reject him because we want to go our own way. Now, we saw this a little bit last week. There were all those people at the temple in chapter 2 doing the right thing, but it seems not for the right reason. Like me on a Thursday evening. That nailed me last week. You know, if you heard it, I'm awful. Applauding on a Thursday evening. You know, I should be so grateful to those people, those doctors and nurses, risking their lives and other people to to help fight this virus. But often I'm there applauding because I don't want to look bad. Jesus says that's us without the Spirit of God, clapping our religion, but not for God, but for ourselves. And so it doesn't matter how hard we try, it doesn't matter how many new leaves we turn over, without the Spirit's power, it can only ever be about the externals rather than the heart. We dress ourselves up in the glad rags of kindness and generosity but underneath we're full of lust and pride and bitterness and anger. We look like kind, upstanding members of the community, but on the inside, sin festers in our hearts. Without the Spirit of God, obedience to God is the drudgery of our lives. We do it painfully, servilely, fruitlessly. We do it like uh, like teenagers tidying their bedrooms, not for their parents, but so they might get longer on their Game Boy. We will read our Bibles to check it off our to-do list, preach for the approval of man, give so that we can feel less guilty about ourselves, about spoiling ourselves, never able to truly sacrifice ourselves for God or for mankind, and in all things we take God's gifts that he gives us and we despise the giver. Without the Spirit, Jesus says, we are not heroes in religion, we are dead. Without love for God, and because that's broken, everything else is too. Without love for God, we cannot love our neighbor rightly. We cannot love our children, our parents, our spouses, or anyone, as we should. Our sin has left the world broken. We see that all over the place. And this passage says we're under the wrath of God, verse 36, We are condemned already by him, verse 18. And one day we will perish, verse 16, which means more than to die, it means to be destroyed body and soul in hell. And Jesus wants us to know, we need to know that we have no hope of changing ourselves. You and I can as much birth love for God in our hearts as we could birth ourselves. We stand before eternal flames armed with rags. We're helpless, we need to be born again. I wonder if you believe that about yourself this evening. Maybe, you're, maybe you've been going to church all your life, always trying to turn over new leaves, always trying to do more, but you recognize that there's very little love for God in your heart. You need to be born again you need a mighty work of the Spirit in your life. And maybe, maybe we have, maybe we do recognize the Spirit's work. We, you know, we do love God, but, but it's important we remember this. Jesus will go on to say in John 15 Abide in me and let my word abide in you, for apart from me you can do nothing. It is only by the Spirit that unites us to the Lord Jesus Christ that we can fight our sin. We can do anything of any real and lasting good. Unless the Spirit continues to perform miracles in our lives, we're helpless. Jesus would have us feel this way. It's not a pleasant feeling to despair of yourself, but it is necessary that we might stop trying to do what we cannot in religion. And to go outside of ourselves to the one who can help us. To, as it were, pick up the phone and dial 999, but which I mean, get on our knees and pray, Lord, help me. where well, I cannot help myself. Because Jesus can help us. And he can help us in a way that is truly wonderful. We must be born again. But so that that could happen, Jesus had to be lifted up. The second thing. And Jesus' introduction into this point makes you sit up and listen. It's it's really interesting. So verse 11, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, what I've just said is an earthly thing. Something of significance, but it's an earthly thing. What I'm about to say to you Is heavenly and so okay well right Jesus I'm listening verse 13 no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man he he was teaching who he is by the way he's saying he came from heaven he is the son of the father fully God made fully man and he descended from heaven that he might be lifted up it says and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I've been wondering how to introduce this and I've gone with this. We long to, we long to be loved, and we? we thought about that a couple of weeks ago the songs and films, so many of them about our our search for love. And uh, religion, I, I think you could probably characterize religion like this, it's the search for some divine condescension that will compensate for all our earthly pain. Well, in verses 15 and 16, these heavenly things, our search can come to an end. The last point really I was trying to show us that we without the Spirit do not love God. But here, Jesus lifted up on the cross, shows us how much God loves us despite our lack of love for him. And I want us to just see four aspects of this love that is shown as Christ is lifted up as the serpent was in the wilderness. Firstly, think about what God has given in love. Verse 16... It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The true God is not a, a God who has for all eternity been a solitary loner. We, we don't believe in a, 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 a solitary God. We believe in a, a united God, but not a solitary God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has always had a son, fully God, of the same essence as the Father whom he has loved in the unity of the Spirit, but he gave him, gave the Son. I, I love my children. And your, your kids, they, they really pull at your heartstrings, don't they? And the thought of losing one of them, I don't know if you've had this of the nightmares of a, a child dying. Maybe you've had the reality that the thought of losing a child is unimaginably hard and the experience is horrendous beyond all words. But God did not lose his son, he gave his son. He chose to give his son in love so that we could be saved. He chose that his son should be lifted up. Of all the things that he could have reached for to give us, he reached for his most precious possession. And then secondly, you think about whom he gave the son to. It says verse 16 again, for God so loved the world. He gave he gave the son to us, to everyone. We do not love God, though he deserves all our love, but he loves us, though we deserve none of his. All human love in the end is love because, you know, you listen to the songs or the films. It's always I love you because, because you're you're beautiful or you're smart or you make a ton of money or whatever it might be. But God does not love us because of us, he loves us in spite of us, in spite of our sin, our lust and our pride and our bitterness and our selfishness. He knows your heart and he loved you so much that he gave the son for you so that you might be saved. He does not love us because of us. He loves us despite us, and he loves us because of himself, because of who he is, which is love. Thirdly, think about what he gave the son unto. Verse 14 on the other page, sorry, on the other page for me. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There's, a, there's this wonderful story in the Old Testament of, um, well I mean, it's scary to begin with, but it, it's a really wonderful picture. There's a, the, the Israelites sin against God, and so God sends a judgment, he sends snakes, and people are dying left, right, and because of these poisonous snakes. But God says to Moses, lift up a bronze snake, and if anyone looks at that snake, they'll be saved. Lift up, as it were, a a sign of the punishment that you deserve. And people just have to look. And there we saved. We face the judgment of God for our sin. We face the eternal wrath of God for our sin, our lack of love for Him. But Jesus on the cross, as He was scourged and pierced and bruised and hung in agony and He died, He became sin and condemnation for us. He's not, as He was lifted up on the cross, He became not just a sign of what we deserve. He went through what we deserved so that you and I, if we look to him, might be forgiven no matter what we've done. What more could God have done to show us that he loves us than to give his son and then to give his son unto death and unto the misery of hell that we might know heaven and that's the f- the fourth thing the effects of his love for god so loved the world verse 16 that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life in other words the love of god is in four ways it is infinite it's infinite in the in the price of the gift that he's gave it's infinite in the lack of desert of the people whom he gave it to it's infinite in the cost that it costs the son to be lifted up and it's infinite in the effects it has in our lives, saving us from hell for heaven. We are dead, spiritually dead. We're unable to love God, under God's wrath, condemned already. We're going to perish, but if we just look to Jesus with an eye of faith, if we believe in him, we do not perish but have eternal life. We're forgiven all of our sin. And the Spirit of God comes into our hearts and opens our eyes to see the Lord Jesus and light floods our souls and it changes us. So that we, as, we, as we see the love of God poured out for us in the Son, we start to love him in return, you know, and it, we can see it in our lives, we start to read the Bible because we love reading about how much God loves us and we want to obey him and do what he says. We, we, we love praying, not, not because we feel we have to twist God's arm like some sort of genie, but because he's our father and we know he loves us. We, we love, well, f- frankly, we hate our sin, let me put it that way. The things that we do wrong in our heart, they bother us now, even though no one else can see them, or no one else says it's wrong, just simply because we love God and He says it's wrong. And the, the Spirit, He turns our obedience from us kind of slavish tick box drudgery into the great joy of our lives, because we we're involved in our Heavenly Father's business. So great is the transformation that it can be seen just as the, as, the, as the wind, as it were, can be seen blowing in the leaves. And he will change us from one degree of glory to another until we are all love. All love for God, all love for neighbor, as we come to a perfect world where we will know his love fully. And all we have to do to receive it, rather than trying harder, rather than turning over new leaves, is simply to look to Jesus. Just as the Israelites looked at the bronze snake, we just have to look to him. All man religion, man-made religion, tends towards what do I have to do to save myself? This is the true religion. The father in love gave the son. The son in love was lifted up. The spirit in love opens our eyes so that we can see him, so that love the love of God floods our souls and brings life to the dead. And we start to love him in response. Just simply by looking, we're saved. Spurgeon, when he, when he became a Christian, he records how it happened. He, um, he, was, he was hoping to go to his usual church. He was a churchgoer. Uh, but there was a snowstorm, and so he couldn't, he couldn't make it. The, the, the storm was so bad. He had to turn aside into into a, a little Methodist chapel. And the minister of the chapel also couldn't make it because of the snow. So apparently a lay preacher got up uh, to preach and he took for his text, Isaiah 45, which says, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Spurgeon recalls that this man said, you know, this is, a, this is a very simple text. It says, look, now looking doesn't take a great deal of pain. It isn't lifting up your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man, he can go to college to look. He may be the biggest fool and you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. And the good man followed up his text and saying, Jesus says, look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm bleeding and dying on the cross. Look unto me. I'm dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend into heaven. Look unto me. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand side. O poor sinner, just look to me. And apparently he went on like that for some time, Spurgeon recalls. It just kind of, worked it out as much as he could. Just to be honest, what some of us do? Anyway, I can sympathise with that. But he, he sort of run out of things to say, and so he started looking around apparently, and, uh, and he, he spotted Spurgeon, and he knew he wasn't regular, and so he said, this is great, he said, young man, you look very miserable. What a great lie, the imaginative preacher said to you, you look miserable. But anyway, he spotted Spurgeon, he said, young man, you look very miserable, and you will be miserable in life, and you will be miserable in death unless you obey my text and look unto Jesus. Look, young man, look, look, look. And Spurgeon records that I looked. And what a, what a word that is. A charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could have always looked my eyes away there. And then the cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away. and that moment I saw the sun. I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them. Ever since by faith I saw the stream. Thy flowing wound supply, redeeming love, has been my theme and shall be till I die. My friends, we cannot make any progress in the most important aspect of our lives in the aspect of religion of truly knowing the true God. We are helpless. Jesus wants us to know that this evening, that we may look to him who can help us. If you've never done that before, Never said, Lord Jesus, I cannot save myself, but you can save me. Please would you do so? Look to, him, look to him right now, and he will help you. And if we have, well, friends, the way in is the way on in the Christian life. Let us keep seeing our helplessness. Keep looking to Jesus to help us where we cannot help ourselves. Asking for the Spirit to help us love God, who has so loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing love that gave your Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Help us, Lord, not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in him. And would your Spirit perform miracles in our lives? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.